Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here with you this morning to, uh, to worship the Lord together and to, uh, to think on, on His Word to us this morning. And uh, as we do that, we want to look at, um, at the first book or first chapter of John, the book of John. And starting at uh, verse 35 through 51, I'm going to read that this morning, then we'll pray and, uh, and look at the Lord's word. Hear God's word this morning. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him saying this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So ends the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to it. Pray with me. Father, as we come this morning to hear you speak to us, we pray that you would calm our hearts, that you would open our minds, that you would allow us to hear that still small voice of your spirit. Father, I pray that my words and my sin doesn't get in the way of your message. Father, let your truth ring because above all things, we would see Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So, from St. Jude's to World Vision, from breast cancer awareness to healthy heart, Priceline, Expedia, Kayak, pundits vilifying and denouncing one another in quest of your boat, 
watch this show. No, watch this new show. Buy this, it's the latest fashion. No, buy this, because that's out, and this is in now. Over here, no, over here, not over there, over here. You have to come and see this. The kids have dance lessons, piano lessons, baseball, soccer, football, gymnastics, band practice, scouts, doctor's appointments. Who fed the dog? Did you feed the dog? Every day, from all around, urgent voices call us to decisions and to actions But is this cacophony of voices too loud, too distracting for us to hear the call of Jesus? Are we so overstimulated as to be desensitized and even disconnected from the deep heart problem that his call addresses? Can our human voices carrying this message ever be heard above this din? As we look at this passage this morning and we think of our current culture, it seems so f- that we're so far from where these dis- first disciples were in their understanding of self and God. And, and we might even be tempted, you know that good old days syndrome? We, we might even be tempted to, to think that we have no hope of being heard because we're so unlike them, so far removed from, from that sense of God and his presence But the truth is that the root of sin is no different, and the inner battle with the old nature is no different. There were no televisions, no iPhones, no social media, but you know what? None of these are needed for the sins of pride, greed, lust, selfishness, and self-righteousness to exist. It's not how many temptations we're bombarded with. We're born on the wrong side of the battle. And for all of those, um, and for all of the seeking that we do, there's still only one true answer to the questions that burn in our heart, to what we desire, what we long for. We get discouraged because we think it's our job to defeat sin, whether in the world or in someone's life. But the truth is, sin is already defeated. And the Lord simply wants us to tell everyone, and he'll sort out the rest, if you will. So one thing we'll do as we look at this passage, we'll look at those phrases that are used by the disciples and Jesus in this passage in engaging others. Things like, behold, the Lamb of God. We have found the Messiah. Follow me. We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. Come and see. When you were under a fig tree, I saw you. Seemingly simple statements. John here approaches Jesus' call to his disciples in a little bit different way than the other gospel writers. He's giving us a different look at what it is to be a disciple and, a, and really, in a sense, a plan, a way to approach bringing that good news to other people. The other gospels, and if you want the references where you can find this in them, Matthew 4, 18 through 22, Mark 1, 16 through 20, and Luke 5, 1 through 11, 
they, they really focus on Jesus and his activity in calling his disciples. Because with their audience, what they want to do is they want to stress that the kingdom of God is here and that Jesus is the inaugurator of that kingdom on earth. But John is speaking to a little bit different audience, and he's focusing more on the person of Jesus and on his relationships with people. John tells us what's the purpose that he writes his whole gospel for, that you might believe. And, and he gives much more time to, to Jesus and what Jesus says, not so much to, to explaining his miracles, but on what Jesus is actually talking about. And, and here in this, this passage, he tweaks it a little bit different than the other gospel writers who, who are showing Jesus coming up and making all of these statements. Here, Jesus stands back a little bit. He's the quiet Christ. But we see what's going on in the lives of the people that are coming to him. So as we look at this, let's look at, at three thoughts or aspects of the call of Jesus to his disciples. The, the, the questions that reveal the heart, the call that strikes the heart, and how the disciples answer that call. And as we think about the questions that reveal the heart, we, we see here that there's a simple comment made by John the Baptist. He says, Behold, the Lamb of God. And there's two disciples standing there with him. He makes that one simple little statement, and they immediately turn and follow Jesus and follow after him. And what's really interesting is what Jesus does. He kind of looks behind him and he sees them, and, and he doesn't respond like, oh, hey guys, come along, come follow me. He, he asks a question. What are you seeking? As you sit here this morning, Think of that question. Jesus asks you that same question. What are you seeking? What are you looking for? What are you trying to find? Now their answer, albeit true, wasn't the full extent of what was in their hearts. Essentially, they said they, they answered him with a, with a question. Where are you staying? So, so Jesus turns to them and he kind of throws a ball in their court. What are you seeking? You, you tell me. And they, they say, well, well, where are you staying, Lord Jesus? So they tried to throw it back in his court. And what did he do? He said, come and see. He didn't tell them where he was going. He didn't tell them what he was doing. He just said, come and see. Part of, what he's, part of what John is doing here is he's beginning to show us what is it to be a disciple. A disciple listens. A disciple looks for. A disciple is seeking after. A disciple wants to be and wants to follow. And when he hears the true voice, when they hear the, true, the voice of Jesus calling, even if they don't know exactly where they're going, 
even if they don't, excuse me, even if they don't know exactly what's in store for them, it got me all choked up, <laughs> even if they don't know exactly what's in store for them, they follow. They follow to see where it is that he's going, what it is that he's going to do. Do you know we look at this in, in Scripture and we look at, at Jesus um, doing these things and, and we think, oh, isn't that nice? They're following him and they're going to see all the miracles that Jesus is going to do. Guess what? He's still doing that. He's still telling us, come and see. Follow me. See what I'm going to do in your life. See what I'm going to do through you. See how I'm going to work in you. All right, that was totally off topic. It wasn't in my notes, but it just, it's there. It's true. It's what Jesus is doing. And as disciples, the question is, what are we seeking? Are we seeking to see who Jesus is, what he's doing, how he's working, and not just how he's working out there, how he's working in here. What he's doing in here. They were seeking the Messiah. They were seeking the salvation. They were seeking to have their lives changed. They might not have been able to put exactly the right words to it. They knew there was something empty in there. Who was it, Pascal, that said, in each and every one of us there is a God-shaped vacuum that we seek to fill. And we either fill it with him or with our own stuff. They knew there was something there that they were seeking for, looking for. And they were willing to follow Jesus because they sensed that in him, here was truth. Here was where that void could be filled. You know, again, what's your answer to that question? Do you have a sense of incompleteness? Do you feel that the persona on the outside, the I've got it together look, belies a life on the inside that's a miss and a mess? How do we participate in Christ's calling others if, if we've forgotten to answer the answer to what we're seeking? How can we ever hope to call others to Jesus if we've forgotten, if we don't understand what we're seeking ourselves? What are we looking for? How are we looking to have our lives changed? How have our lives been changed by answering that call? And it's from there that we can come and tell others. In fact, when we think about what's happening here, the call that, that, that Jesus brings to us, if you will, and he brings it to us like in the other Gospels, directly himself, or he brings it to us, like we see here in John for most of it, through his people. The call strikes at the heart of what people are looking for. 
All of those phrases that I mentioned earlier from this passage have something in common. They encapsulate the answer to that question that Jesus asked. What are you seeking? And they do it in a singular and relatively simple phrase. Like, behold the Lamb. We have found the Messiah. Come and see. Follow me. You know, simple phrases like that, we might not think hold power, but, but you see, in all of us, there's something in us that's driving us that says we're looking for something. And we hear, come and see. We have found what you're looking for. Follow me. I can show you what you've been looking for. They're, they're calls that address what is deep and longing in our heart. <clears throat> and, and here, for what we see in this passage, those, those little simple phrases drew on the knowledge, the sense, the understanding that was already in the heart of the hearers of those simple phrases. That, that culture, that Jewish culture, they were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for him to come. They were there under the rule of the Romans and they, were, they had suffered how often at the hands of other people. They were looking for someone to come and save them and deliver them. Someone who would change how things would be. Someone who would bring finally the peace to Jerusalem that they were seeking and so they were phrases that addressed exactly where they were in their lives. <clears throat> and, and, and isn't that the essence of what we try and do when we talk to other people? Build the relationship. Know where they are. What are they looking for? We put it in different words than they did here in the you know, in Jesus's ministry at his time, we might use different phrases. We might think of it in different ways. But you know what? The longing of the heart is still the same. We are still looking for peace. We are still looking for some kind of purpose and direction. We are still looking to have meaning in our lives. We're all looking for that. The answer lies in Jesus. And, and as we go out into our daily lives, how are we mindful of the fact that other people are looking for that same thing? The void that we have in our heart is the void in their heart. The longing in our heart is the longing in their heart. The pain and suffering from, from that broken relationship with God is the same in their heart. They just don't know how to put words to it. They don't know what it is. They don't fully understand what it is. But the disciple seeks and looks. They find and they bring that relationship. In verse 
43 is the only place in John's account where Jesus is doing the one calling, and he's calling Philip. And, um, and, and, and Jesus, as he comes and does it, he's already the embodiment of all of those little statements. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Messiah. And he cut to the chase with Philip and just simply looked at him and said, follow me, follow me. But the thing that we, we see throughout this whole passage is that John is emphasizing that it's the disciples who have recognized who Jesus is, and they can't contain that. Philip here goes to Nathaniel and tells him, and Philip in his typical style, like, you know, if you remember Philip in Acts when he meets the Ethiopian eunuch, and he finds the passage he's reading, and he proceeds to go through the whole of the Old Testament describing who Jesus is. So Philip, when he goes to Nathaniel, instead of just simply saying, you know, hey, follow me, or look, um, I found this guy, Jesus. No, he says, um, he says uh, we have found the one of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. He has to bring that little bit of, you know, let's bring the whole of Scripture into this. Let's show you where Jesus comes from. He is talked about in all of Scripture. And even when Nathaniel says, hey, can anything good come of Nazareth? What, what are you talking about, Philip? How, how can, it, can anything good come of there? Philip doesn't argue the point. He just says, Come and see. I want to pause there a second. Because I think a lot of times we get really bogged down when we want to talk to people about Jesus and we wonder what they're going to ask and all the questions they might say and how are we going to answer and what are we... And I like Philip's answer. Oh, well, you know what? Come and see. You got all those questions? Come and see. Let, let's explore. Let's look at it. I got an idea. Instead of here, you know, arguing back and forth, let's do this. Why don't we sit down together with the Bible and we'll look and see. Come and see. Come and see. And let God's word work. Let him touch hearts. Let him reveal who he is. And that's the whole point of this, right? That's even, even when the other disciples were in the midst of this, when they, were, when they were calling, come, we have found him, come, come, come and see, come, follow, come and see Jesus. Come and see Jesus. He might be the answer to the longing in your heart. Come and see him. What's, uh, what's interesting to note here, too, is that from John's perspective, John the Baptist, Andrew, and Philip made the connection of Jesus as the Messiah or the Christ before the other gospel writers talk about Simon Peter's confession after the feeding of the 5,000. We often hear that that's the first time that Jesus is re recognized as the Christ when Peter makes the statement, I beg to differ I think they recognize Jesus as the Christ. The problem is 
When things started to go wrong, they began to question their recognition of it. And that's okay. That's okay. Just remember, He is. He is the Christ. Even if the world around you and things around you look like they're going south and sideways, He is still the Savior. And so what it shows us here then that the disciples answer the call. They followed. When, uh, when the disciples went, when Andrew went and found Peter, and he said, follow me, come and see him. We have found the Messiah. He followed. The two disciples of John the Baptist, when they heard him say, behold, the Lamb of God, they followed. Philip, when Jesus said, follow me, he followed. Nathaniel, when Philip said, come and see, he came. He questioned, but it's amazing that all Jesus had to say was, yeah, I saw you before Philip came to you under the fig tree. And suddenly, Nathaniel was like, you are the king. You are God. The heart of a disciple is ready to receive the Lord when he shows up. The heart of a disciple, yeah, there might be some questioning. But when he's there, they are fully ready to embrace who he is. <clears throat> Sometimes our walk in, 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 in being a disciple of Jesus gets kind of, how do I want to put it? It's kind of mixed up with all the things going on around us. And, and we begin to think that there's a lot of stuff that we have to do to, um, to be this disciple of Jesus. Um, we, we begin to think that we have to take on a lot of responsibility um, for, for, for things that happen and that the weight of... of everything that happens in, in church and everything that happens in my life and everything that happens in my family, that all of it all falls on me. Just like uh, at the beginning, I said we, we kind of get this feeling that we have to be the ones who defeat sin, that we have to want and be the ones who defeat it in someone else's life, when the truth of the matter is it's already been defeated. And we, a disciple recognizes and the hard thing, the thing that we have to constantly look at, the thing that if we keep asking ourselves the question, what am I seeking? What am I seeking? I'm seeking Jesus. Where is Jesus? Jesus is here with me right now. In all the mess that's going on around me, do I have to do this all on my own? No. You know why? Because Jesus is here with me right now. He walks with me. He's the one who has the power to give me the strength to keep going. 
Do I have to save that other person? No. Do, should I tell them about Jesus? Yes. Is it my responsibility that they come to him? No. It's the Holy Spirit and it's the Lord Christ. They're the ones who work in their life. We want to be God so much and it's so easy to try and be him. Even as we walk with Jesus, we don't have to shoulder that. We may want to shoulder that. That's part of our struggle, right? But we don't have to shoulder that. Jesus is with us. He's called us not to lay on us all of the responsibility of the world, he said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. Because I am with you always, even to the end of the age, I will never leave you or forsake you. As a disciple... What am I seeking? Am I seeking to be king of the world or am I seeking the king of the world? In him I find rest. And here's the beauty of it all. Even when we do all that stuff, even when we make all of those mistakes, and, and here's a great tip for if you're afraid of saying the wrong thing to somebody when you're trying to share or witness to them or whatever, and you think you're going to make a mistake, and hey, don't worry about it. Because guess what? Jesus even uses those. He uses our mistakes The heart of the disciple is the one who seeks, who listens for the call, who answers it, and who recognizes that that call on their lives is to be part of the call on the lives of other people. You see, John highlights the fact that it wasn't just Jesus going to them in the boats on the sea saying, follow me, and they dropped the nets. And the, but it was Andrew going to Peter, his brother. It was Philip going to Nathaniel. When something profound happens in our lives, when it changes or transforms us fundamentally at the core, we tell others about it we share it with other people jesse crookshank uh, in her book called ordinary discipleship how god wires us for the adventure of transformation and to give you a little background on her she holds a master of education from harvard university in mind brain and education and she's a nationally recognized expert in disciple-making and the neuroscience of transformation. She worked with, um, with Crew for a, a number of years, and uh, she, she did um, wilderness discipleship camps 
where she did things like take people out on, on hikes in the wilderness, on campouts in 30 Below Zero, um, as she was training people to be um, leaders. But uh, she, she says this, which, which was really striking to me. In the Bible, the Greek word for disciple is mathetes. Literally translated, it means learner. But the problem in our Western mindset is that we associate learning with the mind, reason, and information. Take it from the educational neuroscientist, this is a dangerous misunderstanding. Education is important, but it has limits, things it can do and things it can't. True learning is deep and holistic. It affects all parts of us, body, soul, and spirit. We are not transformed by facts and information, but by what we believe in our bones. If our life does not demonstrate it, we have not learned it. So, being a learner in the biblical sense is about apprenticing our lives to Jesus and choosing to live changed by what we learn. In guiding others, she's talking about her wilderness stuff, in guiding others, success is not defined by whether we conquer the mountain, but by whether we conquer our inner fears and self-imposed limitations. Discipleship is not simply about whether we make it to heaven when we die, but how our encounter with the risen Jesus changes us today. Pretty powerful thought. The encounter with the risen Jesus changes us. And I think in, in a small way, that's what we see here in this passage about this calling and the response of the disciples to go and tell others because their lives were beginning to be transformed by the fact that Jesus entered into them. Our lives are transformed by Jesus entering in to them. They, the, the disciples modeled this whole idea. They were simple and direct with no sense that their own image or reputation was at stake. They weren't thinking about themselves. They weren't thinking about how the others perceived them. They were only thinking about one thing. Jesus is here. The Christ has come. The Messiah is here. <clears throat> we deal with so many things in our world and our lives, so many things that want to tell us that who we are is so wrapped up in image and how we're perceived and how the world looks at us and how healthy we are and how we feel. All you have to do is look at all the different commercials on television telling you that you shouldn't feel bad, you need this drug. You shouldn't look bad, you need these clothes. Or you need this car. You shouldn't smell bad, you need Luma. You know, we got it all over the place. But it's not about our image. Ultimately. Because all of those things that we chase after, the reason all of those things are so popular in this world is because this world is looking for something to give it purpose, to give it meaning, to give it identity, to give it reason, 
But like I said in the beginning, there is only one place where that truth is found. And that's in Jesus. He is not something to be ashamed of. In fact, we are created in His image, right? So all those other images we're trying to look to be, you know, to, to, to look like we're part of are all fakes. They're all imposters. They're all false. The only image we should care about carrying and looking like and emulating is the image of Christ in our lives. It's so easy. Everything plays on that old man working in our hearts. But that's the beauty of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in us, who is there with us, walking beside us. He doesn't just call us and say, okay, I called you, now go do this, you're on your own. He is with us every step of the way. You see, these disciples wanted to share the good, no, the great news that they had received. A life of freedom was possible. Freedom of the Spirit. They went to the sphere of influence that they had, where they were placed. They went to the people in whose lives God had placed them. You know, we sometimes unwittingly lose that, that sphere, especially the longer that we're part of, of, of our walk with Christ and, and we develop a whole new community of people around us within the church. Jim Peterson, a missionary and author, writes this. He says, Where to serve is among the first issues in our call to discipleship. We are to serve Christ as insiders in an unbelieving world. Many of us have withdrawn from our old associations to where we have all but lost our insidership. In a sense, we have abandoned a post that was uniquely ours, that cannot be filled by another in exactly the same way. We don't have to run and hide from the world. We don't want to be of the world, but we are to be in the world. We are in a battle. We are on the front lines. We have the power of the, of the creator God on our side. We are to march forward with the truth, not run away from it. Not hide from it. Not think that we have to build a fort with walls around it and stamp it Christian and say this is where we need to be. The church is the place where we come to be filled, to be mended, to be equipped, to worship, to join together, to be encouraged so that we can go back out into that world and fight the fight. Isn't that what Paul said? Fight the good fight. Run the race. To keep going. 
This is the place where we come to join and encourage each other. And that's the place where we go to bring that joy and encouragement and good news. Because we are disciples of the risen Christ. Disciples of the living God. So the question, do you remember or have you lost touch with your first love? I don't ask that in a, in a way to criticize. I ask that because I know what it's like. The world's around you constantly here in the ear. And it's so easy to get kind of distracted and turned aside and forget that first love. Forget the power that's in us. Forget that we don't live this on our own. We don't have to struggle on our own. We don't have to do it on our own. Have you lost touch with the one who loves you? The one who's there with you, beside you, in the midst of it all? The one who wants to lift you up? The one who wants to give you hope? The one who says you have a hope in Him? Jesus comes and gives this call on these disciples' lives and they're excited because they understand the salvation of the world has come. Hope has come. Life has come. It's easy to drift away. Where are you in that? Are you drifting? Do you need to ask yourself the question again? What am I seeking? Who am I looking for? Maybe that's the better one. Who am I looking for? Are you looking for a place to feel secure, to know that there is love and hope and help? That's what the gospel is all about. The essence of the gospel is that, that we as, as broken people in a world that is broken, that is constantly judging us, that is constantly making us feel less than adequate, that is constantly trying to tell us what we need to be. In, in, in a world where we get bound to, to addictions and to, to, um, to sins, God himself entered into that world in Jesus. He became human so that he could live as us, yet without sin. So that he would be fully and completely identified with us, so that Jesus could go to the cross, taking with him all of our sins, and taking it to that cross so that he could pay the price, the full price for everything that we have ever done, for everything that we are now doing, for everything that we will ever do that is an offense and affront to the living God. And to nail that to that cross, to take it before the throne of judgment and say, Lord, I have not sinned and I have died to pay the price for all of them. And he was risen from the grave to show that he has defeated sin 
end that. And he calls us to come and to believe and to live in that truth that we don't have to save ourselves, that he has done it for us. Therein is the heart of the gospel. So again, are you looking for a place to feel secure, to know that there is love and hope and help? Then I say simply this, follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Lord, thank you for the grace that you give us every day. Thank you that each and every one here who proclaims you as their Lord and Savior, thank you that you called each and every one of us. You told us, come, follow me. And you do not disappoint. You fill us with grace and mercy, with hope, with peace, with strength and power that we don't have on our own. You give us life new and everlasting. And Father, for that, we give you glory. And Lord, now as we come, as we come to this table that's before us, and we join in what we call communion, a fellowship together and with you, we ask, Father, that that your grace would fill us, that we would be refreshed and renewed in knowing what you have accomplished for us in remembering it here this morning. We pray in Jesus' name.